Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I am so grateful that you tuned in. This week's episode features Asha Coco. She is the VP of Sales and Business Development at Jividon. I'm obsessed with her name. Um, she's also a former Rockette and a fascinating woman. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Maura Cannon-Dick. She is the CMO of Fitskin. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, it's Jody again. Before we launch into this week's episode, I want to tell you about an organization called Helpsy. I first came across Helpsy thanks to our Base Beauty team member, Julie Chen's Instagram. And she was with her friend walking into Bloomingdale's to see Helpsy containers. And I didn't know what that was. And I did a little research. And um, I really believe in their mission, so we wanted to partner with them for the month of July. So it's hard to believe, but over 85% of clothes wind up in the trash. Helpsy makes reusing and recycling your clothes and shoes more convenient and easier than ever with over 1,800 collection containers and growing. You can find your closest collection container and learn more at helpsy.co. I hope you check it out. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am so excited to be sitting next to Asha Coco. She's a VP Sales and Business Development at Givadon. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I am so excited because this has been months in the making. We met in September at the Beauty Money Summit. We were sitting next to each other in the audience. And I actually make like a big effort before all these events to be like, Jody, just introduce yourself to people you don't know, like make an effort because it's a little uncomfortable for me. And I turned to you and I introduced myself and we had like such an incredible conversation. It was serendipitous because we also realized we had so many um, connections as well. So we were meant to meet. Yeah, I love it. And then today, walking into the office, who do I see but you walking out of a coffee shop? And we walked in together. It's pretty cool. It's great. So um, we're going to talk about your career journey. And um, I'm like giggling inside a little because when I go on your LinkedIn, it's like fragrance, 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 a little bit of skincare, fragrance, (laughs) fragrance. So um, let's go all the way to the beginning, your first job in beauty. What was it and how did you get that job? So my first exposure to the beauty industry was through an internship where many people start their careers. And actually, it was when I was in high school, we had a program in which all the senior students had to do a project for a month. And I was lucky to land a one-month internship with Ralph Lauren, which was a part of... um, Cosmere at the time, their cosmetics arm. Um, It was at the time that they were developing the Ralph fragrance. And I was a young 18-year-old learning about the industry. And I did my internship in product development. And I really spent my time focusing on understanding the market, competitive analysis, and running around to a million different stores to kind of explore new launches and new formats and new textures. And that is really when I was bitten by the bug. I remember being pulled into what I perceived to be a very important development meeting with a lot of senior management. And they were very focused on asking what my opinion was because I was the target demographic. And I felt so empowered and nervous at the same time. And it was that um, moment that I was like, this is fun. I could really do this for a career. 
So that was my launch pad. It was a very short experience, but from that, it really helped me open the door to this whole world of beauty. And from there, when I was in college, I spent every summer doing internships at Estee Lauder companies. So back in the day, before people were emailing as frequently, I did a mailing and I remember I got my hands- Like direct mail? Oh, direct mail in an eight by 10 envelope, (laughs) really old school. Um, I had, you know, mentors at the time who said this was a more a way to catch people's attention. But I mean, let's be real. I really got people's attention with this old school mailing. I got my hands on the Fashion Group International and CEW directories, which were hardbound books at the time. And I went through and combed through and looked at companies that I was interested in and started just blind mailing my resume, um, asking to see if there were any available internships. And S.A. Lauder had replied. Um, And that was kind of how I kind of transitioned. So that's um, just showing me that like hard work pays off. Yeah. And I guess it was like hustle before realizing it was how to hustle. So who even told you about CEW or, um, you know, who even told you like, oh, you can look and there's resources? So it was my exposure through Ralph Lauren. Um, So I had worked for this fantastic woman who... um, you know, was very exposed in the industry. And so she exposed me to all of them. And she said, you know, there are all these different organizations. And I remember just, you know, being being exposed or being invited to an event or going as a guest. And from there, I just always planted them in the back of my mind as resources. Right. So um, I love that you were hustling at such a young age because I, when I was that young and up until just a few years ago, I really thought um, everything came easy to everybody. And it was just relationships that they had through the years and that um, things were handed out to people. And I didn't realize you could work hard and get it. Um, so it's so nice for you to see that at such a young age. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's really in the moments of reflection, like back on my career or back on the steps that got me to where I am today. But I remember even along the path, there have been um, people or very um, influential leaders, women that have kind of instilled this this mentality in me that you really need to take the bull by the horns and you got to like do it for yourself. And I probably learned that young. And yes, sometimes there are people along the path that will take you with them on the journey and help guide you. But at the end of the day, you need to be the one that forges your own path and you're the only one who can make things happen. Um, And I really feel like I am trying to live that every day, even in my current role. Right. So let's um, let's go from internship to, well, two internships, right? High school internship, college, sum- summer internships. Um, and then what was that first job that you landed after school? So I, um, when I graduated college, I was um, going to school in Manhattan. I was at NYU. Um, and I was um, quite conflicted because... I had these wonderful internships in beauty, but I also have this other um, side where I was pursuing the arts and I was studying dance um, and I had been performing and I was like, do I want to be a dancer? Do I want to be a businesswoman? And what does that mean? So I was really kind of following both paths until that last like D-day decision-making time period. Um, 
So I had applied for many, many roles within beauty in different functions because I was really following where I had exposure through my internship. So it was both marketing or PR. And in the end, I landed a role at Clarence Fragrance Group, which was really exciting. But I also was like grappling with, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Like, am I going to leave my artistic love behind because I'm going to work in the corporate world. Um, And it was really hard, but I did decide to take the path that was more corporate. Um, But I'm really happy I did because what I probably didn't recognize at the time was that those two worlds would merge together anyway because that's the world we live in. The world and beauty completely intersects with like art and culture and especially in fragrance. I mean, I'm working with artists every day with perfumers. So... It was a really interesting time and I had this internal struggle and at the end, all my loves came together and I was able to kind of live out my dream. Well, we can just um, stop this pod now because it all worked out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I want to hear the details of it's doing it. <laughs> it worked out, but it's still challenging. It's challenging every day. But, um, but I think, yes, that first role was really interesting because at the time, uh, Clarence Fragrance Group had some of their own brands that they developed out of Paris. I was sitting in New York City um, on this team that was really focused on U.S. trade marketing, but they also had a distribution agreement with some of the Procter & Gamble brands at the time. So I had exposure to some of the brands that we were developing uh, kind of in-house, as well as some of the brands that we were just doing distribution for. So I worked on brands like Azaro, which is a really um, like classic, iconic men's fragrance brand, um, as well as Lacoste. When Lacoste was first entering the fragrance category back in the early 2000s. Um, So that was really exciting to be a part of kind of building the launch strategy. Again, it was my first role. So I was helping manage, uh, you know, the advertising comps needed for all the different retailers. I mean, it was really starting at the beginning, but I remember also being able to help build some of the strategy for some of our new fragrance launches. Um, And it was tremendous. And I remember doing everything from sourcing props to kind of set up our, we had done a launch event at MSG and I was sourcing all the props to kind of set up and like immerse you in a world of these new Lacoste fragrances um, to also helping with, you know, building the presentation and actually presenting to some of the editors, which I had never done before. And so it was amazing. Um, I had loved... Um, working on that team. But at that moment, I also recognized I really wanted to create things. And I, in a trade marketing role, you're really um, creating a different part of the strategy and you're really focused on how it's going to be executed um, in the marketplace. And it's a very important role, but I wanted to like make the product. So I immediately um, focused on how am I going to get a role that's going to help me make product. And I recognized that that was going to be a global marketing role. And then I started to apply for roles. At the same time, I had decided that I had this background in the arts, but I really needed to dig deeper into business. And I was like, I need an MBA because I think it's going to help me like broaden my skill set and also give me credi- credibility in the business world. So I decided to kind of start applying for business school as well as look for a global marketing role. And that's how I landed at Unilever. So which came first, the business school or the next job? 
the next job came first. And then while I was in the next job, I was accepted into business So were you working during the day and going to school at night? Yeah. For how many years? I did it for three years. Um, I went to the Fordham Business School, so it was very close. And it was all about, you know, how can I um, do both? Um, And it was a tremendous, it was tremendous. It was a lot of work, but it was... um, it was manageable. And I had previously, like when I was an undergrad, also been in school, but also working because at that time I was doing my undergrad work while performing in a show. So um, it was, again, kind of how to manage my time and divide across these two different needs that I had at the moment, but finding the balance, which is always hard, but, so you know, push through. <laughs> in school, you were a professional dancer? You were like paid to perform? Yes, I was a professional dancer, and I danced with the Radio City Rockettes for two years. Holy moly. Which is my—it's a a known secret, but um, I think, you know, my background had always been studying classical ballet and then other dance disciplines, and when I was in college— I had a I had a roommate who introduced me to that world and she's like, You gotta audition and I did. And so it was the best part-time gig you could have when you're an undergrad student. You were part of New York City like history. Kind of, I guess so. So your winter season, so like during um the end of first semester, you were really busy, right? Because that's right. I guess you were in rehearsals for many months before yeah, that. It too? would basically be like the fall mm-hmm. semester and the winter, and then when Usually the springtime period I took off. And then by the when the summer came around, I was doing an internship in beauty. So I kind of had this cycle going that was working for me and allowing me exposure to different things, which was fun. So where, um, where did this sense of um, ambition come from in you? Like, were you super ambitious when you were younger? I think that absolutely I was ambitious and quite disciplined. I think when you come from a background in a competitive, probably sport or competitive arts, which which dance is, I mean, you're auditioning um, for roles and you don't get everything. Um, I think that it was probably ingrained in me at a very young age. But I also think it's part of my environment. My father too is an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. He has his own business. So he had started, um, I remember growing up and he was working in Manhattan for a very uh, like big Swiss firm at the time. And he's um, in the commodities business. And then he had like decided when I was in middle school to start his own business and to build it. And he built it from a room in our home downstairs um, next to our garage and I watched him and I remember helping him and I remember filing for him and um, answering the phone professionally and this is where I learned all the big my beginning uh, all the skills that you need I guess for uh, professional interactions in business Um, and I watched him Um, so I think that it's kind of um, a mix of everything it was like what I was interested in growing up but also watching people in my environment. All right. So I love that you had your side gig was not like working in a coffee shop or being a waiter, like you were a rockette. And that is incredible. And uh, will you share pictures with us? Um, sure. I have to find them. They're all printed. There were no digital photos. Can you believe it? I love this. So um, you, um, you got a job at Unilever also in fragrance? Yes. So at that time, um, 
they had just launched Vera Wang's first fragrance. And I remember um, it was incredible to interview at Unilever at the time. They had Unilever um, uh, Prestige Cosmetics. It was Unilever Cosmetics International, their Prestige uh, Fragrance Division. And they had many different brands in the portfolio. And I had gone through a series of interviews. And at the end, it was really amazing because they said, you know, we have two roles open and do you have a preference which brand you want to work on, which never happens. So I was so excited. And I re- I chose Vera Wang because it was at the beginning of its journey. It was like we got to build something together. So I joined as a marketing assistant. Do you remember what the other brand was? Yeah, it was Calvin Klein. Oh, oh I remember everything because I also um, interviewed with um, a woman who I'm still close with today, uh, Lori Singer, who's st- still at Cody, who's wonderful. And we um, we talk about that, <laughs> about how like, you know, she, we were part of, she's part of my, the story of my beginnings. Um, so I chose the Vera Wang brand um, at that moment. And we you know, it was so exciting and we were developing, you know, new brands from scratch. And I have to say now reflecting back on my career, there are very few opportunities where you're allowed to actually create a brand completely from scratch. So I was so lucky to be a part of that. And so we created, um, I mean, of course, with this bigger team, I was just, you know, one of the pieces that helped it on its journey, but Vera Wang Princess, which at the time was a huge success um, in the early 2000s. Um, it was also the first time that we started to play with social media because social media wasn't as widespread as it is today. And so we were using new tools to talk about, you know, brands and scent um, and we were doing digital communication and it was just really a special time. Right. There were probably still some direct mail um, oh, pieces there, at that time. There was but- ton- well, at the time, what we did that was... I remember in that moment, I remember we had done um, a special promotion with MySpace. It's like <laughs> MySpace is completely obsolete, but at the moment it was like the thing. Yeah, and that was actually do. really innovative because there's a lot of brands were terrified of social media or didn't even like touch it. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And even if I think about, you know, my following role when I was at Estee Lauder too, I remember that um, the being part of, you know, this internal movement, it was when brands were starting to have pages on social media and like having a brand Facebook page. And that then, you know, we kind of banded together our whole organization as a community. And then we all were friends on Facebook and we were all like, you know, really supporting our brand. So it's really interesting to see how, you know, social media is impacting our business and it's evolving. And in such a short amount of time, I was just like thinking back, I mean, my business has only been around for 12 years and maybe um, eight years ago, I can track things back to how old my kids were at the time. So I just had my daughter and um, she's eight now, maybe eight and a half. And we were working with Clinique on like their first influencer targeted um, like event kind of thing. And we didn't even know what to call it then. And it was like, wait, how? We're used to doing events for the press three months ahead of time, but now we have to do something at launch. It was like so crazy for like the whole team to think about shifting schedules based on the fact that you want to create immediate content. You don't want people to sit on content, right? And it was like really hard to wrap everyone's brain around because for decades they were operating this way, right? Um, And now eight years later, it's just like, look at what happens in the marketplace around influencer marketing. It's insane. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like the whole model's been flipped on mm-hmm. its head. And so I think as we think about how we 
um, just approach the beauty business in general, right? It, like we, anything is really possible mm-hmm. now, um, whether it's the communication strategy or the way we develop we have to really be able to keep an open mind to push the boundaries. And then we're seeing like brands doing that, like completely disrupting the space. Right. And there's room for small players to be here now. I'm sure you partner with some of them because that's where like the most innovation happens, especially in communications. Um, okay, so let's, I want to continue on your journey. We might skip a few. Give us um, the brands you worked with until you got to where you are now. Okay, so after... Uh, Vera Wang, I went to Estee Lauder and that is where I worked not only on their fragrance business, but also the skincare business. Um, and at that time, you know, it was, it was incredible because it was the dream. I had never worked for, it's like the mothership, right? Mm -hmm. This beautiful brand that had every, you know, beauty category, um, really, understanding like how the different categories play on each other. Um, And I had worked on Pleasures, which was an iconic fragrance brand. I also worked on Advanced Night Repair, which is like the, I think even today, still the best-selling serum. Um, So it was was fantastic um, in that I understood how these big global brands operated because it was a completely different mindset and way of supporting and also infrastructure of understanding like what's going to work in every market and it won't always be the same thing. Um, But when I was kind of at the end of my role on the skincare team, I was starting to think about, okay, what could be my next challenge? And I had had an experience at a fragrance house. In fact, I told um, my colleagues, this story on my first day at Givadon, because my experience was actually at Givadon. I went to the Givadon offices and there was a wonderful presentation, um, that was shared with our brand team at Lauder. And I was so inspired and I said, oh my gosh, this is incredible. These people are creating the future and how can I be a part of this? And I remember that I had then um, asked the head of fragrance development at Estee Lauder for breakfast and I wanted to pick her brain. And Was that um, an easy thing to ask for, that, um, that breakfast? I think, you know, I was young in my career. So I felt like I was really probably, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone, but we had um, a relationship and I was very fortunate that, you know, she made time for me and she um, really was open and talked to me about the role of the fragrance house and how they, you know, really support the development process. And it was really in that conversation. I didn't join a fragrance house for probably over a year later. Um, but it planted a seed in my mind that I was like, this is an area I want to explore. And so that is how I found Simrise. I think at the time they were recruiting. So, you know, someone had called me and I said, you know, I want to see what happens. And this is like an unexpected path. I can continue to grow, um, within, you know, the bigger brand structure. And, but I was like, I want to do something really different. And I want to work with many different types of brands, which that allowed me to do. So my whole fragrance house journey has been from Simrise to Furminish and now at Shivadon. It's really given me exposure, not only to different 
types of brands, but also different categories. Because if you think about it, scent really touches so many different parts of our industry. And so while my expertise is in fragrance, it does also allow us the opportunity to get to know other categories. I remember even at Simrise, I mean, we were covering like understanding like the global hair care market or what's happening in Dio. Like fragrance is such an important component and we would really have to dig deep to understand those categories. So it's given me a breadth of knowledge that I didn't anticipate instead of um, keeping me so focused on one subject. So deodorant, laundry detergent, are there like surprising categories that we wouldn't think of having fragrance be like a, a key differentiator? I think that fragrance is a key differentiator in all all products in which it exists. Um, if you think about it, if you think about the hair care category, um, fragrance can signal even what the benefit would be um, when you're looking for some specific claim. So there are all these subliminal um, signals to a consumer as to what um, a fragrance will impart because of the scent, but also um, have cult followings, right? Some of these fragrances um, in other categories, people love so much that they then spin off and they'll like do other formats later in time. I think um, we've been seeing, I mean, everyone's been reporting it, including MPD, but like the rise of home fragrance. Everyone is now really interested in how they can kind of create a new environment through scent and layer scents. And all of a sudden, there's so much activity in this space. So it's exciting because scent touches everything, even skincare. Um, of course, fine fragrances is our true love. Um, and as much as, but we also see that consumers will use fragrance through other formats. It might be for body or it might be in the shower. Right. I, um, I actually do have a favorite hair product scent. I'll tell you off off recording, but um, so much so that like when I smell it in the air, like I'm like, like trying to sniff it out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's like such a fun process when you actually like sniff a friend and you're like, oh, I know that shampoo or I know that dry shampoo. Right. Um, so, okay. Tell me what you do now. Like what, what is your role? So I, um, I'm in sales and I oversee our local and regional accounts as well as business development. So I have a portfolio of existing uh, fine fragrance accounts, but some of them play in some other categories. And then we're also looking for kind of the new players that want to enter the category. So what does business development mean in your world? So for us, we're really looking at opening opportunities for both our existing clients and for um, for new clients. I mean, if you think about how the industry has evolved, even in the last 10 years, there are brands that never existed before. So it's really taking a broader lens to say, okay, how can we help, you know, really support founders with dreams um, to enter the category and um, thinking that they could be kind of the disruptors for tomorrow. So you've actually been in the fragrance house world as um, indie beauty has been expanding, right? Like, so you're, you've been following the same path at the same time. Have you noticed that these fragrance houses, which many are very old, right? Um, uh, mature businesses, uh, had they, have they had to adapt a lot internally to be able to support a, a tiny brand in their journey? I think that um, 
What I've recognized is, you know, because fragrance houses have such long, rich histories, including mine, um, there are very strong relationships um, that exist. Um, I think that the one thing that continues to come to the forefront is speed, but I don't think speed is only unique to new brands. I think even our existing brands want speed. I think everyone is trying to get to market with the best product possible. Um, but every like the the feeling of acceleration or accelerating innovation is felt throughout every single uh, every single customer, right? Um, but I do think that you know we have to think of different ways to work with new clients because it will be different. Um, than working with maybe someone who's more established. For example, a lot of um, new businesses have never developed before. So they might not know the steps and they might not understand the process. So we have to really be able to educate new businesses on how we can partner together. And it's just a different way of working compared to maybe a company with an established infrastructure and processes and understanding, you know, where how to get to the end game. Right. So that um, idea of education actually comes up for me in my business because, yes, when we have brands with marketers who've been through this before or maybe haven't been through exactly this before, but they, they read about it and they educate themselves on it, it's a completely different conversation than here you are, you're a lawyer who just quit your job and decided to build a brand. Now what? Um, what advice can you give me? Because it's hard, right? It's hard to take everything that we've known through the past, you know, 15 years of growing our brands and our partners and like siphon it into somebody who's never been in the industry before. Mm-hmm. So here, I'm, I think that there's like no one path, right? Yeah, and that's what we know, right? When you're working with any, any type of company, big or small, um, it's really about being able to be agile and just frame the right conversation. Think about like, what's the challenge at hand and like, how can we get to a result? And that there could be like two or three different options to get there. Um, So I'm like, I don't have like a regimented like speech or things that I say or, or every time I'm working with someone new, but I do like change the conversation and I try to take a step back and be like, okay, let's start from the very beginning. Like what are the steps in the process or how could we approach this? How long is something really going to take? I mean, yes, I know you want to launch in a month, but we know that development takes longer. Plus you have to manufacture. So it's, it's building a framework and then being able to be flexible around it in the conversation. I think, and I, d- I think being honest too, right? right? I, I, I think I, um, my stumble is that I forget, I forget that the person across the way doesn't know the stuff that I know, or even know 10% of it. Right. right. So to, now that you said that, I have to remind myself, slow down. Let's yeah. literally start at the beginning. And I also think that sometimes it's about, um, transparency because people don't know. Sometimes, um, I may overexpress like what I'm going to do to get us to the next step. And it can be something as simple as just so you know, like, here's how we create. And the first step is, you know, we have a system and we enter a project hypothetically, and then we collaborate with perfumers, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of walk through what I'm going to do so that they like a we all are like on the same page and we understand like in this time in which we may not talk that these things are happening behind the scenes. And, you know, it's just, it's quite simple. 
um, with like a certain level of transparency and sharing. And then they feel really confident and understanding that, okay, I know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to wait two weeks or one week or three days or whatever the time frame is and whatever the next step that's required. So I want to shift gears a little bit because before we started recording, you had to shut off your phone (laughs) because it was beeping. Um, And now you're off the grid. Like nobody can find you. They don't know where you are. You can't respond to them. People do know where I am. (laughs) You can't respond to them immediately. Um, Let's talk about those urges because you're also a new mom, right? So like there's a lot of noise around us as moms and how we figure out how to, where to put our attention. At least that's the way I feel. Um, How do you approach this balance idea? So I'm very lucky that my husband and I just are an incredible team and we try to balance our schedules as best as we can. Um, And I think that it's just about like, again, being quite structured in my day. So I... I thrive on structure, so I like to know, okay, this is the time block. I'm going to go to the gym, and this is the time I'm going to hang out with my little one, Leo, and this is my work time. Um, So I block it out, and we do a lot of that um, together, too, even for kind of our free time, just so we can make sure we're all, like, doing all the things we want. So, for example, we had, um, I had my in-laws visiting last weekend, and we had decided we were going to do, like, a trip to Hudson Yards, and we were going to visit Snark Park and and have this whole fun, immersive day. But we also, like, wanted to plan it out so that we could, like, plan it against the nap time. And then there was a fragrance launch event in the evening, and we had to (laughs) map everything out and make sure it could happen. But having that kind of structure then allows us to really, like, have the freedom to play. Um, so yeah, I'm like a typical day for me is I usually wake up pretty early. What's early? Like around 5 30. Mm-hmm. I'll go to the gym at six. Um, I'll be back at seven and then I'll kind of, you know, get ready and then Leo will get up and we'll have breakfast together. And then I'm usually in the office by 8 30. So you merged yeah. um, two words in one thought together that I used to not think that belong together. Um, structure and freedom. So I used to really resist against this. And maybe it's one of the reasons I started my own business because I like hierarchy and structure really scared me Mm -hmm. and made me mad and frustrated. And what I've realized over time, and I think, um, you know, running my own business and being a mom helped me get there is that um, the more structure I have, the more freedom I actually have. Like Mm -hmm. I have more space in my brain Whereas, for example, when am I going to go to the gym this week? It occupies a lot of space in my head. Maybe it's a Monday. Maybe it's Wednesday. Maybe it's Wednesday and Thursday. Instead of just knowing, you know what? Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays are my days, right? So I've just learned this. I mean, I'm 43 years old. I feel like every day I learn something new that this type of structure will give me the freedom that I really crave. Yeah. No, and I think that, like, going back to my childhood, if you think about it, right, like I was competitively dancing and I had to go to school and like you had all these obligations and it's like that's all I know really is this structured kind of disciplined schedule and it works for me I don't know yeah I'm really embracing it because I was struggling with how do I fit it all in how do I do things beyond the podcast and my day job and the kids and my husband that I want to do because there's even more and beyond the gym Um, and what I have realized, um, in this process is that it's okay for me to give up the real housewives for a little while and just have them DVR and catch up with them on the weekends that there's like, you know, just not enough hours in the day during the week for me. 
<laughs> um, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. It makes me so grateful that I um, take a deep breath and make the effort to introduce myself to new people because you just you know get to meet really special people that way. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad I met you. <laughs> So um, for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thank you, Asha. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.